Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a Halloween story. If you haven't heard the first part of Otacella yet, you need to go back and listen. It came out last year around Halloween. I know I usually do one-offs and don't make you do homework, but sorry, this one you really need the backstory for. So for those of you who have heard the first part, I won't keep you waiting. Here is... Araceli, Chapter 2 Araceli watched the mysterious bus drive away and disappear into the autumn mist. She turned and climbed the steps up to her building's front door and dragged herself up the stairs to her apartment. Fatigue set in in a way she had never felt before. Her brain was so hazy, she questioned if the night had actually happened. These questions didn't last long, however, as she quickly faded into a deep and dreamless sleep. When she awoke, she found more than enough evidence her night hadn't been just a cruel nightmare constructed by her guilty conscience. The first thing she noticed were her arms. Starting at her fingertips and running up to her shoulders were hundreds of tiny red feather-like fractals raised on her skin. She traced them with her fingertips. They didn't hurt, but they looked terrifying. She was still wearing last night's clothes and they felt damp with the sweat from her fitful sleep. So, she dragged herself to the bathroom of her studio. Not really a full room, per se. More of a toilet and an old tub with a rusty shower head, separated from the rest of the room with a curtain. Articelli caught a glimpse of herself in the stained mirror that leaned up against the wall, and saw that her arms weren't the only change to her body. Her black hair now glistened with bits of silver, As she peeled off her clothes, she couldn't help but stare at herself for a moment. On top of the new additions to her arms and hair, she also had bruises on her ribs and thighs. She couldn't remember what those were from. Her eyes were sunken. Her face looked gaunt. She honestly looked like total shit. At least this dump has hot water. She said to no one as she turned the knob of the shower. She stepped in and let the water that was almost too hot run over her, washing off whatever the fuck was going on. Though she had acknowledged her battle wounds, she refused to think head-on about the night before. She could feel the memory lingering, though, creeping along the edges of her brain, begging her to face them. But there wasn't time for that. She had to get to work. What day was it? She couldn't remember if she was a barista, a custodian, or shop assistant today. That's right. Shop first, then custodian tonight. As Araceli approached the bus stop, she felt uneasy. When the bus arrived and opened its doors, her breath caught in her throat. She felt lightheaded, 
but the tattoo parlor was too far to walk if she didn't want to be late. So, on she went. Thankfully, there were no mysterious old ladies, no fogged-up windows, no high speeds. Just a typical bus ride next to a window with various names scratched into it, trying to avoid the part of the seat with a wad of chewed gum stuck to it. She unlocked the door to the shop and locked it behind her. They didn't open for another hour. In that time, she cleaned and checked over the appointments. She was restocking the toilet paper in the bathroom when she heard keys jingling and a familiar voice humming a tune. Ari, you here? Called the voice. Yeah, Doc, just finishing up the commode. She yelled back. I couldn't remember if you liked hazelnut or vanilla more, so I went with vanilla. I thought that was a safer... What in God's name happened to you, darling? Doc was standing in the doorway of the bathroom, holding a latte, gawking at Araceli's arms. Oh, um... Yeah, I just... Last night, um... She hadn't thought of an alibi for the red marks. What the hell was she supposed to tell people? Hun, those look like Lichtenberg figures. Did you get struck by lightning? She thought he might be kidding, but Doc's face was as serious as one could be. I I don't know what that is, but... No, I didn't get struck by lightning. I don't know how to explain. I got into an accident. Some kids, it, it was Halloween, you know, and... She trailed off. Tears spilled over her eyelids. You wouldn't believe me, Doc. It's crazy. I wouldn't believe me. Her tears turned to sobs. Here it was. She could only keep the memory of last night pushed away for so long. Those lurking memories finally broke through. Now her boss was going to think she was mentally incompetent and send her packing. She loved this job. She loved Doc. Araceli slumped to the ground by the toilet and continued to sob. Hey, 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 hey. Let's just get you back to the office and you can catch your breath. There's no need to cry. You don't have to tell me what happened, but... I'd like to know if I can help. He helped her up off the floor. Doc was a big man, and she felt like a child in his arms. It had been so long since anyone had been so paternal and caring. She thought of her own father's coldness and cried harder. Doc half-dragged her to his office and sat her on his big black office chair. He brought her a cold glass of water and silently sat it down in front of her. Then he took a seat on the other chair. Araceli took a sip of the water, and it felt nice on her raw throat. She looked across the desk at Doc, who sat patiently, giving her a look of empathy and understanding. It seemed to her that this was probably not the first time he plucked a hysterical person off a bathroom floor and took care of them. Thank you, she said quietly, for the water. Anytime. Now, whatever goes on in your life is none of my business, but you can let me know if you need me help. If anyone maybe 
hurting you? When you first came to work here, I remember you mentioning a boyfriend who put you in a tough spot. Oh, no, these have nothing to do with him. She delicately stroked the red and raised flesh on her arms. He stared at her for a moment with a look of ponderance on his face. Then he spoke, slowly, carefully, knowing his next sentence would be crossing into fragile territory. You know, plenty of good people I know have battled with substance abuse. I'm not on drugs. I don't want to lose my job. I promise I'm not on drugs. Her eyes were as wide as saucers. The very mention of something that could lose her one of her much-needed jobs was terrifying. Okay, so you're not on drugs. Please don't fire me. I promise this has nothing to do with that. Fire you? If you were, I would suggest you get some help. But it does neither of us any good to do that. You'd be without a job. I'd be without a shop assistant. You've never been late. You've never stolen. The artists and the clients like you. Plus, we all lose our way every now and then. But okay, if that isn't the problem, what's going on? You look sick, and these burns, or whatever they may be, are frightening. And that's coming from someone who has seen some things. You're white as a sheet, and you look like you've aged five years since I saw you yesterday. It always seemed like you had a rough go of it, but you've never really shared much. That's your business, but I have to say, I'm pretty worried about you, kid. Though she would have sworn there were none left, a single tear slipped down her cheek. She didn't know anyone cared enough to worry about her. She didn't think anyone thought about her at all. She was starting to see how starved for love and affection she truly was. I really appreciate your concern, Doc. More than you know. But I told you. You won't believe me. And I told you. I've seen some things. I've lived a lot of lives before you were even born. So please, try me. Okay. But as many lives as you've lived, I promise you've never heard anything like this. She took another sip of her water sighed, and began. First, let me tell you about my brother and sister, Gabby and Benny. Araceli then proceeded to tell Doc everything. About the twins disappearing on Halloween all those years ago, about assaulting the old lady, about the bus ride from hell and the strange woman who knew her name, about the fog world and the children with black eyes, and how she had to leave her brother and sister behind. I promised them I would come back, that I would come get them, but I have no idea what I'm talking about. How do I even get back there? Was any of it real? See, I told you it was nuts. I can just go. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Araceli stood up from the desk, 
Whoa, why do you keep thinking I'm going to fire you? Sit down! You're shaking like a leaf! She slowly sat back down, unsure what the next words out of his mouth might be. Maybe he would just call the police and have her committed. Maybe that's why he didn't want her to leave. Why else would he be okay with her staying after hearing all that? Her own parents didn't believe her, and that was without the whole evil fog children thing. Look, judging by what you've told me, you've never heard of black-eyed children, have you? This question felt like a trap, but Doc looked so sincere. No, I mean, other than the ones I just told you about, but... I believe what you experienced was real, Araceli. Why don't you fire up that computer in front of you? The artists will be showing up any minute now, and so will their clients. I'm going to man the front for today. When that old piece of shit gets going, I want you to search for black-eyed children or black-eyed kids. And do some reading, okay? I'll be back to check on you in a bit. Oh, and don't forget to grab your latte. I think I left it on the sink in the bathroom. Okay, was all she said. Doc gave her an awkward but kind smile and made his way out to the shop floor. She heard him greeting someone while she slipped down the hall into the bathroom. She needed to splash some water on her face, and no matter how much existential dread was pumping through her veins, she wasn't about to let a free latte go to waste. Back in the office, she did as requested and typed black-eyed children into the search bar. 83 million results came flooding in. Doc was right. This was a documented phenomenon. Of course, it wasn't exactly on the front page of any reputable news sites, but still, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of stories about these unnerving children and teens. She devoured everything she could, The famous encounters by Brian Bethel in Abilene, Texas. The sightings at the pub in Staffordshire, England. And countless other links to books, podcasts, videos, etc. where people recounted their experiences. In most of these stories, though, it was only adults who experienced them. They usually showed up at night, trying to enter something. Usually your house or your car using excuses like needing to use the phone, or needing a ride home, or in Gabby and Benny's case, wanting them to come trick-or-treating. One strange detail that jumped out as she read was that, in hardly any of these stories, were their children in danger. From what Ari could see, it was all adults. The kids used their own vulnerability to try to gain access to them, banking on the idea that adults would never let kids be alone in the dark. Then she remembered two things the lead boy had said to her during their two brief interactions. You can come too. Don't you want full-size bars? And you can stay here. We could use a mother. Araceli's blood chilled. They had been after an adult. Well, an almost adult. G and B may not have been their main target. 
Maybe they were taken because Ari had refused to interact with the strange children. Instead, she told them to go ahead. She basically offered them up as collateral for herself. I didn't know. Slipped out of her mouth as her trauma-riddled brain came to the sick realization that this was all part of some game. She wasn't even aware she was playing. Although all this information made her feel less alone, it didn't make her feel any less helpless. None of these people had said anything about a foggy alternate dimension full of missing children, Nothing about mysterious bus rides or cold shocks of electricity that leave red fractals on your body or white streaks in your hair. Didn't I tell you? She jumped at Doc's voice appearing suddenly. I had no idea. This is incredible and terrifying, but Doc, none of these people did what I did. None of them went where I went. Look... I know you usually have to hurry off to another job after this, but I know someone you can talk to. Why don't you leave early today? I'll pay you for the full four hours. Now, go to this address. Doc grabbed a post-it and jotted it down. Ask for Stella. Tell her Doc sent you. Ari took the post-it and saw it was an address close enough to walk to. No buses, thank God. Go here. Ask for Stella. She repeated out loud to commit to memory. Thank you so much, Doc. No one has been this nice to me in a long time. Doc just smiled and gave a small nod. Ari rushed out past all the artists and clients without a word. She ran practically the entire way. Doc was right. She would have to hurry off to her other job in a couple hours. If this Stella person could help in any way, she wanted as much time as possible with her. In 15 minutes, she arrived at her destination, huffing and puffing. The smell of incense was apparent even outside. It was a small storefront with nothing in the window but heavy velvet curtains. In gold lettering painted across one window was one word. Apotheca. Araceli walked through the door and into a dark and smoky store. Small tables were covered in crystals and pendulums. Wooden shelves held books on things like witchcraft and summoning spirits. Tapestries and taxidermy lined the walls. Ari didn't know what she had been expecting, but for some reason, an occult shop wasn't it. Though, when she thought about it, where else would she get help with her particular problem? A gray cat, the color of the smoke coming off the incense, was sitting on the counter by an old fashioned looking brass cash register. Hi there. You're not Stella, are you? The cat stood and stretched as if answering her question. Oh, shit. Are you? I can't turn myself into a cat yet, but best believe I'm trying my damnedest. 
A silky voice came from behind her. From a row of bookshelves, out stepped a very tall and absolutely striking woman. She was dressed as one would hope the owner of an occult shop would be dressed, to add to the ambiance. A long oxblood-colored dress, with bell sleeves and a black leather corset over the top of it to cinch her waist. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, I promise I'm not a total idiot, just... After the night I had last night, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing I saw in the last 24 hours. You must be Araceli. She offered her hand. She had long, elegant fingers. A piano player's fingers, as her mother would have called them. Araceli shook it. She noticed the woman glance at the red marks on her arms, but she didn't remark upon them. Yes, um, did you, like, predict I would be coming? Again, I'm not that good. Doc called ahead, wanted me to know you'd be dropping by, and that maybe I should close up shop while you're here as to not be distracted. You must have quite some story for Doc to be acting so presumptuous about how I run my business. Yeah, um, I'm sorry about that. I didn't ask him to say that or anything. But to answer your question, yes, I do have a pretty crazy story. And I could really use your help. My help? What, do you need a love spell for a boy you like or something? No. Some kind of hex to make your mean teacher's hair fall out? N no. Ari couldn't get the words out, and this interrogation wasn't helping. Well, out with it, girl. I'm a very busy woman, and I haven't got all day. Stella inspected her perfectly manicured nails. Last night I took a magic bus to another dimension where the black-eyed children lived to try to save my brother and sister that they kidnapped two years ago, but they kept shocking me and I got scared I wouldn't be able to leave, so I just told them I'd come back for them, and now I need you to tell me where the hell I went and how the hell do I get back there. Oh, gods. Well, in that case... She walked over to the door, locked it, and flipped the open sign to closed. Well, I would say let me get you a drink, but you look a little young. Why don't we go upstairs and have some tea? She didn't wait for an answer, and disappeared behind a curtain of glass beads. Araceli followed and they went up the old stairway to an apartment above the store. It was exquisitely decorated, like something a starlet from the 1930s would call home. Silk tufted pillows, beaded lampshades, velvet sofas. Araceli sat perched on the edge of one of the couches while Stella made the tea. Everything was so beautiful she was afraid to touch anything or even move too suddenly. After a few minutes, Stella emerged with a tea set fit to serve the queen with. Cream. Sugar. Oh, um, just sugar, please, replied Ari. Stella carefully selected a sugar cube from a small bowl and placed it in the ornate porcelain cup with tiny silver tongs. 
She then prepared her own tea with the smallest amount of cream, took a sip, then settled into the matching love seat. Ari could watch her all day. Everything about Stella was a level of beauty and grace and elegance that Ari had never experienced before. So, um, how do you know Doc? She said to break the silence that seemed to linger. Doc and I go way back. He knew me before I was the Stella as you see me here today. I was dating one of his tattoo apprentices. That didn't last long for either of us. It's a toss-up whether he was a shittier apprentice or a shittier boyfriend. I kept hanging around the shop, though. I liked the atmosphere. So many people from different walks of life coming in and out. It was exciting. And when I decided to live life on my own terms, my parents didn't want much to do with me after that. So... Doc and his late wife, Sherry, would always have me over for holidays and birthdays. Made sure I never felt too much like an orphan. Doc's good people. I know what that's like. The parents thing? Mine also sort of disowned me. Ari looked down into her teacup. I have a feeling that may play into your wild night. So... Why don't you regale me with this adventure you went on? Once again, Otticelli told the tale of Halloween night. It didn't get easier or sound any less impossible than the first time she told it. Stella sat and listened with an unreadable face. After the story was done, Stella took a sip from her teacup, set it down delicately, dabbed her mouth with a cloth napkin, then spoke. How many jobs do you have? Excuse me? Otticelli was perplexed by such a mundane question after such a wild story. I asked you how many jobs you currently have. I know you work at docks, but I'm sure you have at least one other. Uh, yeah, I have three. I also clean this office building across town at night, and some days I work at a coffee shop. You need to quit the coffee shop job and come work for me. We have one year to prepare. Prepare for what? To get your siblings back, of course. And so, that's what Otticelli did. She didn't bother to give notice at the coffee shop. Her boss was an asshole, and so were the customers. Over the next few months, as the seasons went from fall to winter, Stella opened Ari's eyes to the world of the supernatural. She learned how to picture a circle of light around herself, for protection. What stones and crystals meant what? How to do basic good luck spells. Not only did she learn but Stella learned as well. One of the first things they addressed were the marks on Araceli's arms. Lichtenberg figures. Yeah, that's what Doc called them too. What is that? It's what happens to the skin when someone is struck by lightning. In your case, some sort of 
massive energy transfer. You said when the black-eyed children touched you it felt like cold electricity, right? Yes. Well, lightning is energy, and so are we. And so are the black-eyed children. It's just all in different amounts. It's why ghosts can flicker lights and imprint their voices onto recording devices in our plane. If it was lightning, I'd say it would fade in a few months, but this is something else. A different energy. They might be here to stay. Stella was partially right. The redness faded, but Ari was left with whitish scars of fractals that seemed to be permanent. They began to grow on her, though. You couldn't ask for more unique body art than that. Stella was also teaching Ari how to look at things on the brighter side, or manifesting positivity, as she called it. She kept hammering in how important it would be when she went back. Though it seemed like her mood was becoming lighter due to making a new friend. She didn't know how much manifesting positivity really had to do with it. She had also begun meditating every morning on the same phrase, over and over, until she started her day. I remember you, Gabby. I remember you, Benny. One day in the spring, Ari was manning the counter and just finishing up with a customer. Stella dramatically emerged from the beaded curtain. Her skirts flowing behind her, clutched in her manicured hands, was a very old book. She slammed the book down on the counter, scaring away Artemis, which Ari had come to know was the cat's name. They're Fay! Stella declared, her face flush, her smile beaming. Fay? Like fairies? Precisely! I think they're a type of fay. Think about it. They steal children. They can go back to their realm. They disguise themselves as humans. They like tricking people. They scream, Fay! I don't know how I didn't see it before! That's great! Articelli exclaimed, feeding on Stella's excitement. No, that's bad. Fay are incredibly dangerous. You'll need more protection than I thought. Before Ari could respond, Stella was off again, behind the curtains, her boots clicking on the stairs. On a different day, Ari broached the subject of travel. How do I go back? Well, the same way you came, of course. You said you told the bus to be back next year. It's rude that you think that it wouldn't keep its appointment with you. Okay, but what is the bus? Who is the woman? I don't understand. My darling, not all is for us to know. I believe the bus is some sort of entity of good, trying to restore a balance that these fey children have thrown off. The woman seems more neutral to me. You said she warned you, but didn't help you. Just sort of gave you some advice and didn't fight too hard to keep you on the bus. I believe she may be some sort of entity that isn't supposed to get involved, but she felt sorry for you and wanted to give you a leg up by giving you a warning, which you promptly ignored. She didn't punish you for ignoring her either, like she was supposed to be observing you. But honestly, 
Who knows? Like I said, there is much that is not for us to know. Spring turned to summer, and Ari was performing small spells and rituals regularly, not knowing if they were really doing anything. Halloween was fast approaching, and her nerves were frayed. Stella had become more withdrawn, spending whole shifts upstairs researching and working on something she refused to explain. Sometimes Ari would hear the sound of a sewing machine. One day, a man came by and introduced himself as the blacksmith that had been called. A jeweler also stopped by. None of them were introduced to her officially. They would just be quickly whisked away by Stella through the curtain, up the stairs, and then they would leave without a word. Finally, towards the end of August, when Ari was about to head out for the day, Stella came down looking less polished than Ari had ever seen her. Her hair was in a messy bun. She had no makeup on. She was wearing pedal pushers and a casual button-up, which was basically sweatpants and an old t-shirt to the always immaculate Stella. It's ready, she announced. What's ready? Come and see. Lock the front door and come upstairs. So, Ari did just that. Artemis followed behind her as they made their way up to the apartment. There, in the middle of the living room on a dress stand, was what could only be described as something a punk rock Joan of Arc would wear. It was a dress of chainmail. Draped at the neck on a leather cord were two small glass bottles, one filled with dried yellow flowers, the other with what looked like sugar, A leather pouch hung at the waist from a belt. On a small table beside the outfit was an array of dark silver rings and two bracelets with tiny bells hanging from each link. What is all this? You're about to be going into battle, so I built you some armor. If my theory about these children being a type of fae is correct, well, let's go piece by piece. Chainmail armor and 20 rings made of iron. Now, this is the old timey stuff, so don't get it wet, or you will turn into a walking case of tetanus. Two bracelets of bells, two vials around your neck, one of St. John's wort, and one of salt. The bag hanging from the belt will, day of, contain risen yeasted bread. These are all things that have been documented to ward off the Fae. Hopefully, these will keep you from being overwhelmed by their electric touches. They could also keep them away. Articelli just stood there, not knowing what to say. She turned to Stella, speechless. I know. It's incredible. She smiled. And you're welcome. The hot days of summer were slowly overcome by the rushing winds of fall. Before she knew it, it was Halloween day. Stella, Doc, and Araceli all stood outside of her apartment building, tension and anticipation building in the air. This was the moment. If this bus didn't show up, Ari just knew that Stella and Doc would think she was either lying or crazy and she'd lose the small family she'd become a part of over the last year. Stella and Doc draped the heavy chainmail over Araceli's black hoodie. She secured the two necklaces, 
put on all twenty rings on both phalanges of each of her fingers and thumbs. The bracelets went on, and last, Stella pulled out a pink concha from a basket and presented it to Ari. It didn't specifically say what kind of bread as long as there was yeast in it, so I thought a little something from your culture might be nice. Just an added reminder that you're doing this for your family. Ari smiled, but didn't speak. If she had spoken, she would have cried, and she needed to stay strong. She just took it from Stella's hands and placed it in her pouch. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, a city bus pulled up in front of the building and opened its door. Doc and Stella were wide-eyed. Of course, they believed Ari, but really seeing that this thing existed... We'll be waiting for you, kid, said Doc, who gave her an awkward side hug. You're going to be amazing said Stella, who put both hands on Ari's shoulders and then pulled her in for a tight hug. Ari breathed in her perfume and once again fought back tears. Well, see you on the other side, Araceli said. Then she ascended the steps of the bus. When they closed behind her, she stood and watched Doc and Stella disappear as the bus picked up its impossible speeds. She took a seat near the back. It was empty. Just when she started to think that this year she would be alone, the bus made a stop. Well, hello again, said the kindly old woman. Hi, um, happy Halloween. There she was. The bus was real, the woman was real. She wasn't crazy. I see you've really gotten into the spirit this year. Are you a medieval European knight? The woman asked as she took out her knitting. Ari looked closer this time and realized she wasn't knitting yarn. It was something indescribable, like sound and light and color itself. Uh... Yeah, actually, I, I guess I am sort of a knight this year. Well, it suits you. The woman looked down at her knitting. Hey, um, can I ask you something? Ari asked. I'm not sure if I'll have the answer, but yes. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry about last year. I didn't know what was happening. I shouldn't have pushed you like that. Oh, it's quite alright. I'm not as fragile as I appear to be. I'm going back. I'm, I'm going to get off the bus. I don't mean to be rude, but you can't stop me. I don't plan to. The bus had reached maximum speed now. The windows were a blur of light and color. My friend says you're like a, a watcher, an observer. So even though I'm not going to listen, I do appreciate you trying to warn me. My friend says that that's probably not something you usually do. 
your friend has quite a lot to say about me. What do you think? Well, I just... You seem like you're nice, but... You told me not to save my brother and sister. But it was also super dangerous out there, so... I don't think you were trying to stop me from saving them. You just didn't want me to lose myself. So it's more about balance than being nice or evil. The woman smiled, still looking down at the knitting project that looked like it was now incorporating real stars somehow. Well, anyway, said Araceli, I'm glad you were back this year. It's nice to have someone to ride with. It is nice to have someone to ride with. And to tell Stella, she is a much more powerful presence than she knows. We've been watching her, too. We? The bus slowed. Looks like it's your stop, said the woman, now looking at Ari, a kind but unreadable smile on her face. Well, see you when I see you. Ari said as she made her way up the aisle. Once again, it was up to her to open the doors. This time, she didn't step out onto Maple Street. As soon as her feet hit the ground, she was surrounded by that thick fog. She couldn't see a thing. She remembered her training and began to picture a circle of protecting light around herself. Concentrating like she was taught, chanting, I remember you, Gabby. I remember you, Benny. I remember you, Gabby. I remember you, Benny. As she did this, the fog seemed to dissipate. The world here was much different than the one she remembered. With the fog gone, she could see it as it truly was. It looked like someone had taken streets and buildings from all over the world in every different timeline and dumped them here like a landfill. Children roamed around, their black eyes glazed over like mirrors, not paying any attention to Ari. How am I supposed to find them in all this? Why didn't the bus just take me straight there like last time? Her meditative training was slipping from her mind. She was already panicking. She was desperate. She started screaming, Gabby! Benny! Just like the night she had lost them. Just like both nights she had lost them. This garnered the attention of the nearby black-eyed children. But instead of coming after her, they seemed to whisper to each other and scatter Maybe she had scared them. Maybe they would stay away from her this time. As she roamed the confusing landscape, she heard the bells on her wrists start to tinkle. Not just from the movement of her arm swinging, but like they were individually ringing. As she kept going, they rang louder. Maybe that means I'm getting closer to them. She didn't know what she was talking about, but she had no other options, and kept moving in the direction that made the bells louder and louder. 
She passed ancient bazaars, European castles, African villages, Japanese temples, colonial American farmhouses, all empty and silent. Finally, she saw a small group of them standing in the road. Her bells now passed sounding like bells, and sounding just like metal tapping on metal, their clappers were moving so fast. As she got closer, she saw that it was him, the head of the black-eyed children, possibly even the only thing here that wasn't a real child. He stood with a cocky smile, a small group of the lives he had stolen standing behind him like they were ready to strike at his command. So, you decided to come join us after all. He said. In your fucking dreams. I'm here to take my brother and sister home. He looked left. Then right. (laughs) I don't see them. Guess they don't want to go home. They know you're here. We all smelled you as soon as you stepped off the bus. Give me my siblings. I'm taking them home. He eyed her up and down taking her in. Okay. Here they are. Take them. The crowd of children began to move as they all pushed forward a tiny alien and pirate missing her parrot. It couldn't be that easy. This has to be a trap. Why are you just giving them to me? Hmm? I admire your gumption. You clearly came prepared this year. The fact that you came back at all. You win. Just grab them by the hand, get on the bus, and go. She noticed he was keeping his distance this year. They all were. It worked. The armor, the bread, the salt, it all worked. My offer won't stand forever. Take them or go. His voice was becoming less childlike. She still felt something wasn't right, and staring at the faces of the other children, a pang of guilt hit her in the gut. Some of them hadn't been forgotten yet. Some of them could come home too, but she couldn't risk it. She stepped forward and grabbed the twins by the hand bracing herself for the cold electric shock. But instead of her screams, she was overwhelmed by theirs. The twins cried out in a pained scream she had never heard come from children, like their very souls were being harmed. She dropped their hands, horrified. (laughs) Didn't think that through, did you? If your little costume works on us... Why wouldn't it also work on them? They won't go willingly. I control them. So what will it be? The children started to surround her. She was encircled by hundreds of black eyes staring at her, waiting. She noticed fog rising once more. She was losing focus. Her circle of light was wavering. She was scared. He was right. She hadn't anticipated this. You can always stay. 
You'll never be without them again. After all, it isn't like you have anything to go back to. Your parents hate you, Araceli. You lost their precious babies. You hurt that old woman. You cost them thousands of dollars while they were grieving a loss bigger than most people could ever imagine. Sometimes, your mother prays to her god and asks him why he didn't take you instead. The fog was so thick, she couldn't see the buildings anymore. Just black eyes. Gabby and Benny stood limp like they had been lobotomized, staring at nothing, not recognizing her. If you stay, they'll know you again. They'll all know you. They'll love you. And you can have more family than you ever imagined. You won't ever be alone. Not anymore. The fog seemed to be choking her now. A small voice in her head was considering this. She had been alone for so long. Her parents, the people who were supposed to love her no matter what, didn't anymore. But then, something else inside her reminded her of the past year. Of Stella and Doc, of all they'd done for her. Of the meals and conversations and love they had bestowed upon her despite her being a stranger to them. She felt lighter now. Lighter. Light. She remembered to picture the light, the circle of protective light. The fog receded. She stared at the leader of the children and began to take off her rings. With each ring, they moved closer. Next, her bracelets. The leader's face began to twitch with glee. Then, she opened her pouch and tossed the bread on the ground. Closer and closer they moved. She could feel them pushing in around her. The leader was also moving in, almost close enough to touch her. She took off the armor and dropped it on the ground. The electricity was already almost too much to bear. She felt her flight instinct kick in like it did last year, like she just needed to leave, but she fought it. She stood her ground. The leader laughed and lunged at her. What he didn't know was that she still had two more tricks up her sleeve. She ripped both the glass vials off her neck and smashed them into the sides of his head. His cry was that of a banshee and a dying animal. She grabbed the twins around their waists with each arm, electricity shooting through her in icy, painful bursts. But she held on. She held on and she ran. The bus was still waiting. Headlights on, doors open. The rest of the children pursued her. But she was faster. She threw the twins into the bus, but before she could join them, a hand grabbed her by the top of the head, one finger hooking under her eye socket and pulling her back. The pain was immense. She must have been screaming, but she didn't know. She couldn't hear. She couldn't see. It was a pain deep down into her soul. A pain not even possible in her dimension. But then, the old woman appeared in the doorway of the bus. 
We are watching you, Decimus. May I remind you of the blind eye we have turned to you too many times. With that, Araceli felt the hand release her. She clawed her way up the steps of the bus on her hands and knees. And then, there was darkness. Ari? Ari, wake up! Araceli felt small hands shaking her shoulders and patting her face. The vision in one of her eyes was fuzzy, almost like everything had a halo around it. Gee, B, is it really you? Yes, silly. What happened to us? Where did we go? She was laying on the floor of the bus, which had picked up speed again, going back to their realm. When she sat up, she saw the twins sitting on either side of her. Araceli threw her arms around them and pulled them close. It doesn't matter where you went. You're going home now. We're all going home. She looked around and saw the old woman was gone. Did you see where the lady went? I want to thank her for saving me. What lady? Asked Benny. You know what? Never mind. I have a feeling she knows. The bus slowed to a stop in front of her apartment. Stella and Doc were sitting on her stoop. Doc with his head against the wall fast asleep and snoring. When the doors opened, she led the twins by the hand down the stairs. Gabby, Benny, these are my friends, Stella and Doc. They helped me get you back. Why, hello, little ones. How are you feeling after such a long journey? Stella sounded calm and collected, but there was something in her eyes that Ari could see meant she was absolutely stunned by what she was seeing. Hey, kids, I thought you might be hungry, Doc said. There's some fried chicken and juice in this cooler. Before he could even get the words out, the twins had pried open the cooler and started devouring the chicken and juice. I guess not eating for two years leaves you a little peckish, huh? Laughed Stella. She looked at Ari. Love the new battle scars, by the way. The what? Araceli jogged up the steps to look at her reflection in the front door's tinted glass. There she saw it. Starting at the top right of her head and moving down were those same fractals. Her right eye was no longer dark brown, but a muddy bluish gray. And her hair on that side was more white than black. Nothing a little foundation can't cover up, said Stella, placing her hands on Ari's shoulder. Stella, I saw the old woman again, and she had something to say about you. She said you're more powerful than you realize, and they've been watching you, or something. They? That's what I said. I have no idea. But she saved my life. I almost didn't make it back. 
I'll tell you all about it while we take these two home. The plan was to drive the three and a half hours back to Ari's parents' house. She had been dreaming of a tearful reunion, them apologizing, taking her back in, making up for lost time. But as they drove, and as Ari recounted what happened while the twins slept in the back seat on either side of her, she said, Doc, stop. Doc slammed on the brakes and pulled off to the side of the road. I can't just take them home. Look at me. How do I even begin to explain this? They'll blame me again. They'll have me arrested or something. Then how do I explain this to the police? No. I know what we have to do. So, Doc drove to the police station nearest to her parents' home. Now, let's practice this again. Together, the twins said, Our names are Gabrielle and Benjamin Ramirez. We live at 432 Maple Street. A bad man took us on Halloween. Our sister, Otiselli, found us, but the bad man hurt her really bad, so she told us to come here. Okay, the police there know about you. They know who you are, they know mom and dad are looking for you, so they'll call them. But why can't you come back with us, Ari? Asked Gabby. Yeah, why? Chimed in Benny. Because I have to go get better. See how ugly my face looks? It hurts real bad, and I need to go to the doctor. Then I'll come back, okay? I promise. Saying goodbye was the hardest part. Of the entire night. She watched from afar as the twins walked into the police station. She waited until she saw an officer kneel in front of them and listen to their stories. Soon several officers rushed to their side and she knew they realized who they were. So, what's the real reason you didn't go home? Stella asked as the sun began to rise on their drive back. If I could get G&B back, I can get more of them back. Ah, I, I don't know. Look at your face, Doc started. The universe or the spirit world or whatever sent me a whole bus. Next year, I'm making it my mission to fill the whole fucking thing with the children he's taken. The ones who are still remembered anyway. I think I can at least get them back. They drove the rest of the way home in silence. Six months later, Ari is standing at the counter of Apotheca. A man walks in, but doesn't really. He's dead, you see. At least, Ari does. Her eye never healed. Initially, she thought it made her vision worse. But in reality, she sees more than ever. The man goes straight to the back, up the stairs. He used to live here. Still does, I guess. He doesn't notice Ari, and Ari pretends not to notice him. Instead, she turns back to the stack of missing children's posters she's been thumbing through. 
only six months. She picks up the phone to make a call. Yes, hello? Can I speak to a Mrs. Bond? Yes, I'm calling to ask about your daughter who went missing in 1984. Thanks for listening. I apologize for the technical difficulties. Us, it, it was just a nightmare today, and I know this is so late. It's not even Halloween on the East Coast anymore. It is still here on the West Coast. And for my international listeners, I have no idea. In fact, I think my Australian listeners wasn't Halloween yesterday, so I was late anyway. I really, really apologize. This one, um, it was a little less like trick-or-treat centric so it's one that you can listen to on a different day it's fine um i really hope you enjoyed it i really enjoyed writing it for some reason for a second i was about to avoid spoilers but if you're here you heard the episode so yes i'm kind of setting up to make this an annual thing and have some different you know some araceli and her friends go on different adventures I hope you enjoy it. I hope you like where I've taken the story. Again, I usually do one-offs, so this was strange to even do a second part. One reason I've never written a novel is because I, as long-winded as I am in life, when it comes to writing, I kind of get the idea on the page and don't have anywhere else to go. But this one, I really can, I can really see a future for it. And I'm pretty excited about it. I really hope you all enjoy it. Let me know. Give me your feedback. Again, since this is a little bit new for me, give me your feedback. Um, happy to happy to read it. Um, it's very late. I need to get this out, so this is not going to be long. I'm so sorry. And I didn't bake this week anyway and didn't do a ton. <laughs> I was mostly, I basically, not even mostly, I worked all week. All week it was it has been a lot of writing and working and getting ready for the live show and doing stuff like that. So, um, and you just heard from me, what was it, Thursday? Last Thursday, Friday, when this came, my last episode came out. I'm forgetting this one's coming out so early this week. So I was like, how did I miss a whole week? It's because I haven't done anything this week, except for work. Um, I worked all weekend. I am so, I love Halloween, but once you get into horror podcasts, for those of you who want to start a horror podcast, just know it gets to a point where the Halloween season is a little bit crazy. In fact, for the Bloody FM Network, we have a Slack channel. And a few people were like, happy end of the season, everyone, because we have all been so busy. And after this, I'm very excited because I have some new projects coming out. And I probably could talk about them, actually, because they're my projects. But I'm going to leave them. I'm going to leave them. These are going to be coming out not until the end of the year or early next year at the latest. But very excited to start on those now that Halloween is over and I know so many of you are sad about it. I'm also sad about it because I didn't really get to celebrate it that much this year. I did get to go to the Haunted Hayride and that was so much fun, but that was the only Halloween thing I got to do this year. So next year I need to get ahead of myself or get ahead of the show and make sure I, I give myself some Halloween time. Um, goals for next year and I will see you next year when Otiselli comes back. All right, and I promise this won't happen again next year. Um, not on wood. All right, everyone. Happy Halloween. Go have some great nightmares. I love you. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.